Thanks for joining us for season three of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that kind uh, intro, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, you had a hard time this morning, a lot of technical problems. Uh, late, which is unusual for you, but uh, we're glad to have you now. Uh, thanks, everybody. It's great to be here. Uh, you can call me Shatsy, and uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, Brand Strategic Hospitality, man, at the, the Hospitality uh, Hangout. We're at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Uh, Jimmy, by the way, I'm basically never late, and you've now memorialized in perpetuity my being late, and I kind of feel you're shaming me. I, I feel I feel a little shamed. I I, I don't know I, what I gaslighting is, but I'm gaslighting also, and I, my all wife right. uses it all the time, so I'm going to gaslight you too. But I, yes, you know what, Jimmy, you are always late, and uh, so <laughs> me can confirm that because you're late. Uh, anyway, don't, don't, listen, don't Jimmy, my thunder, started, I introduced the guest. Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> I, 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 I forget. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. You're right. And I just want to tell everybody before we get started and jump into it, we have a great guest. If you haven't already checked out a branded hospitality marketplace, the branded hospitality marketplace, it's a digital e-commerce platform we launched. It has the best in-class technology, innovation, professional services, suppliers, which is the entire, the entire spectrum of food and beverage. It's built by operators for operators. We are excited, excited to have this launch. People are loving it. So if you haven't had a chance to jump on it, thebrandedmarketplace.com. And if you'd like to learn more about it, if you'd like to get your company in front of thousands upon thousands of decision makers, email us at marketplace at brandestrategic.com. That's marketplace at strategic at brandestrategic.com. Sponsored by Chico's Bail Bonds. Go, Jimbo. <laughs> uh, thank you, Shatsy. I love your enthusiasm for the marketplace, and I'm right there with you, and we're excited to see this move forward. All right, guys, listen. Today, we are really excited about our guest and our friend who's joining us. This is a... Uh, I think he's sleeping, Jimmy. I think he may have... Well, and I, I, I probably caused that, but we're going to do... A, I'll sing my favorite wake-up song. Uh, no, we are excited uh, because we have Savneet Singh, uh, the CEO of Partech, He's a friend. He is a tremendous leader in the space, uh, and his company is just doing some amazing things. And I'm excited. We're going to be talking about uh, at least. Some and Jimmy, of them. you're going to have to be careful. This is a publicly traded company, so this is one of our first first publicly traded companies. You're going to have to be on your best behavior. This is SEC guidelines here. Yes, and I, I'll, I'll maintain. I'll, I'll be true to all my licenses. But listen, let's kick into this. Stephanie, okay. we'd like you to take the lead. We always ask our guests to kick off the uh, the show uh, by giving a little introduction uh, and background about yourself, and of course your company. Company, Partech. Sure. And thanks for having me, guys. And, and I'll do my best to follow the, the guidelines. Um, <laughs> I'll tell the story of Par because I think it's far more interesting than my personal story. Um, and, you know, for a podcast that's focused a lot on restaurants and restaurant technology, uh, Par is a company I think more people should know because it played an in, in sort of instrumental and instructive role in the beginning of restaurant technology. The company was founded 53 years ago, originally uh, doing IT work for the Department of Defense. But in 1978, the founders of PAR invented the point-of-sale terminal for their mother's McDonald's store. And uh, that it kind of grew like wildfire. Two years later, in 1980, McDonald's approved that terminal to be sold to McDonald's stores. And then in 1982, the company went public on the success of McDonald's, basically mandating that every store be a PAR system. And so this little tiny company in the middle of nowhere upstate New York went from a small consulting shop to a fast-growing uh, company listed on the New York Stock Exchange beginning, I think, that revolution in restaurant technology. There was no such thing as restaurant technology really before PAR came in and built the point-of-sale terminal. The company you know, took off for the next decade. It was you know, offices in dozens of countries, thousands and thousands of employees. 
But unfortunately, the subsequent sort of 20, 25 years, the company really struggled. Um, the company didn't uh, learn to build software and as a result, got stuck as a hardware and services company. And so most people in the restaurant industry think of PAR as a hardware company. You'd, you'd, you'd pick someone else for your software and then pick PAR's hardware and services to kind of run the, your restaurant. And PAR did a great job at it, really high NPS scores, really happy customers. But it's a challenging business model because hardware was upgraded every five to seven years. And so you have a big rush of revenue and then you have a big decline. And to rectify that, many, many years later, at the end of 2014, PAR bought a small software company called Brink, which was enterprise point of sale for large restaurants. And at the time, it was a tiny business. It was in a couple hundred stores, eight or nine people. It was really a product, not a business. But as soon as PAR bought it, it, it kind of exploded. It went from being just in those two or 300 stores to nine or 10,000 five years later, and with it, a, a bit of that transformation of PAR. I, I got involved with PAR originally as a member of the board of directors. I didn't have any background in restaurants or restaurant tech, although I, I'm a huge restaurant guy. I, I just uh, got involved because the board was looking for someone to add a little bit of technology DNA, software DNA, growth DNA, um, and, and, and they thought I could be helpful. And I think really quickly I saw that PAR had really beautiful product market fit. Restaurants, software was eating restaurants, and PAR was perfectly situated to kind of capitalize on that. At the same time, the company was really challenged. It didn't have enough money on its balance sheet. It had an activist shareholder fight. It had a lot of SEC investigations, DOJ investigations, uh, all while we were running out of you money. You see, Jimmy, you see, that's why I brought that up. You see the SEC already. <laughs> you know, eight months after I, I joined the board, I ended up becoming CEO on the idea that, hey, there's a great there's a great bones here. Um, it needs some better leadership. It needs a better structure. It needs some capital to, to go after this, this, this great opportunity. And so... I, you know, it was completely fortuitous. It was never planned. In fact, I, you know, I said no to the job for the first three, time, three times they asked me. Um, but, you know, I came in because I saw that restaurants desperately needed a solution, particularly enterprise restaurants. And PAR had the right product at the right time. And so our belief has been rooted in, in that we've got the right product. We've just got to get the right team and, and right structure to execute on it. You know what they say, Shatsy? What? Fourth time's the charm. Yeah, they got, no. they got them on the fourth ask. Yeah, listen, Savneet, thank you for the background. It's incredible. I mean, literally, uh, basically, PAR is a uh, it's it's part of the Department of Defense at this point. It really is went from making weapons to making point of sale systems. Uh, it's an unbelievable story. Very natural transition. Yeah, I got to brag <laughs> a little bit about you uh, for for all of our listeners because, I mean, you just told us the story about PAR and it's unbelievable and how you got to PAR. But what you didn't mention is that you're an avid, an avid investor in, in lots of things, real estate. Uh, you were early, early in Uber, cryptocurrency. Don't even know what cryptocurrency is, but I hear it a lot. Uh, I'll explain it to you later, Thank you. You have your own venture firm. You do outside investments in the venture firm. You were named uh, Forbes 30 uh, under 30. I was, the, uh, I was actually 18 under 18, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, you're the Impact 100 list, top 100 entrepreneurs under 30. You were named to Crane's Business uh, 2014, uh, 16, 18, class of 40 under 40. Savneet, you've done it all. What I have to ask you is, are you retiring? What's next for you? And what are you doing at par? Tell me, uh, you know, because your journey is unbelievable. You are, without a doubt, the greatest person we've ever had on the show. And our ratings are going through. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been crazy lucky. I mean, you know, I, I'm one of those people that believes that success is as much circumstantial as it is individual. And I was just really lucky. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at par because I think, you know, listen, restaurants as a whole kind of missed a lot of the technology innovation we've happened over the last 20 years. And, you know, one of the things I, I sort of hate is that, if you look at all the growth in, in, in technology within the restaurant the last three, four years, 
it's really been for the benefit of restaurant tech companies, but not so much the benefit of restaurants. Um, you know, restaurants are marginally more profitable, but man, the, the environments they operate in are way more complex. Uh, you know, I'd argue that the technology companies won, the restaurants haven't. And so I sort of saw that as an interesting opportunity where you've got an industry that really needs technology that, you know, I think in many ways hasn't been treated well by technology. And, and that seemed like a really cool place for us to play, not to mention it's a huge market, we got the right product and so on and so forth. But there was this interesting void that you had technology, ironically, um, not benefiting the constituents it was built, to, to, built for. You know, um, Sunny, we appreciate you sharing that sentiment with our listeners. Um, Branded launched its investment and acceleration business, uh, first of all, as a, as a completely operator-driven strategy. We will only work with and invest in and support companies that are allies to the industry. And one of the reasons we have great appreciation for you, your team, and really uh, the whole Partech um, you know, ecosystem you're building is that you are an ally to the industry. Um, Shatsy already did enough kissing ass, um, so I'll I resent- up- Jimmy, Jimmy. Guy's a rock star, man. Well, yes, we. So he's a rock star, but I'm actually, and he's such a rock star. I'm going to quote Savnit to himself in terms of leading up to my next question. But Savnit, I understand, has often said that Partech is a 50-year-old company run by 30-year-olds, and I dig that. Um, so taking the reins, we understand of a company that's been around for that long a time. No one should misunderstand that that is no small uh, or simple task. So you know, tell us maybe or tell our listeners what her hurdles you had to overcome um, and maybe some of the very first moves you made as CEO to take this, you know, this, this legendary, but somewhat admittedly, don't be mad, antiquated company and modernize it and make it so current and relevant right now. So, you know, when I took over the reins, um, I remember going to the lead director and saying, hey, I'm going to do four things and then we'll figure out if this is the right fit for me, right fit for par and, and, and we'll evolve. And, and those four things um, were, were relatively simple, but hard to execute. The first was um, we needed like a dramatic restructuring. This was a company that was burning too much money and uh, had you know disparate businesses. Capital allocation was sort of spread through tons of different people. And so we did an unfortunate dramatic restructuring. We had to you know, unfortunately cut a ton of people, uh, save a bunch of cost, uh, but a lot of cleanup. And, and ironically, that sounds complicated, you know, negotiating with banks and so on and so forth, but it was the easiest part about it because it was just like, we got to get to this number. We got to find a way to get it. Let's get there. The second thing I, I told the board was, that the company needs to remove all this distraction. So let's go settle with the SEC and DOJ. Let's go figure out what's going on, see if we can help push those things along, penalize us if we've done something wrong. If not, let's move on. Let's deal with the overhang of the perception that the company was run for the benefit of the founders, not, not the shareholders. Let's deal with all these issues. And then most importantly, let's go to all of our customers who were angry because the product wasn't working. They didn't think they were getting the product they wanted and say, listen, you're right. We have this up uh, and, and it's on us to fix it. Give us the time to fix it. And, and so clean up that. The, the third thing I, I told the board, and the most important one, and probably the most relevant to your question is, we changed the culture of the place. I, I think companies are just collections of people working together, no matter what product, whatever business, it's just a bunch of human beings who have emotions, who've got you know spouses, who've got all the same challenges we all do. And so my, my sort of strategy there was saying, hey, no one really knows why they're here at part today. Let me tell you why I think we're here. And here's the long-term vision of what we want to get to. And if you want to swim uh, towards that goal with me, let's go. If not, let's find a great landing place for you, but let's give a BHAG. Let's put it out there, what we actually want to achieve. And what that did is it sort of aligned the workforce and began that big cultural change. Um, and then the fourth thing was to go raise money uh, because the company needed money to sort of make this happen. And, and so a lot of what I did was I think I became relevant to the workforce. I think when you have a 50-year-old company, uh, you, you know, you act like a 50-year-old company, right? You've got massive HR policies, massive legal policies. People feel there's the company and then them and there's a big gap. And, you know, when you've got, you know, a younger CEO running around the office asking everyone a million questions, 
you know, when someone's got a question, you give them a straight answer. You know, I'll give you a fun example. When I got to par, the first question I got in the town hall was, Seventy, what do you think about the values of the company? Um, and, you know, most CEOs be like, oh, you know, they're really important to the foundation. And I went and said, they're a bunch of posters on the wall to me today. Um, I'll know your values when I work with you. And, 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 and sort of, you know, created, remove the veneer of like the company is you and you are the company. There's not like a s- special being on top that's like, you know, a puppet master. And so I think a big part of cultural change was this idea that we're going to solve this together, but let's get in the boat together, set where the boat is going to go, and then we'll figure out who should be on the boat along the way. Uh, and I think that was the the biggest change. Um, and and there are lots of little stories of how you you know make things go faster, create cultures, remove processes. I used to pay people to cancel recurring meetings that weren't necessary. Uh, if you find a dollar of savings, you'd get ten cents in your pocket. Um, I used to write emails completely in the subject line of the email just to say, give me the damn response. I don't want a formal email that like my English teacher would approve. Um, you know, there are all sorts of little things like that to create that momentum. But a lot of what we did is align on 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 the culture we wanted to build, and then really hired and focused along that culture. You know, Shatz, I just want to say, if I could just say, because it's very rare that I think we get to quickly insert the following movie quote in one of our podcasts. However, I think Sadiq just gave us the opportunity. I think it was clear from what what Sadiq was just sharing that he needed a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted people to boat with him. God darn it. He needed a, he has built a bigger boat. Without a doubt. And I got to tell you, Sabine, it's very, I mean, look, you're taking a 50-year-old tech company, which I mean, in the tech world, that's like, uh, I mean, maybe a thousand-year-old. I mean, this is, that's a really old company. And you had to update everything uh, about it, which is, it's, it's incredible. And, and the change the way they're thinking. You know, I've been in the restaurant space, you know, I'm the restaurant guy, you know, 25 plus years, got a whole bunch of restaurants. We've been using, um, I'll just get into it. Uh, and I want you to explain this to our listeners because it's something that gets thrown around a lot. My first POS was uh, was Micros, and we were using the 3700, and that's what we used. And uh, and you said that PAR was like re- literally the original point of sale system. So I suspect I suspect before PAR, I mean, every restaurant was using a cash register, you know, which is just it's really it's just it's just funny to me. And and everybody today that owns a restaurant, they have a point of sale, and as far as they're concerned, they've got the tech they need. But just could you give us a little history of just you know, Micros and NCR, and I guess par for for to to a lesser extent, maybe they, you know, with kind of like they're they're called legacy, and and they were these closed loop systems where I when I was on Micros, I couldn't just get any any third party anything I wanted. It was like I was told who I could use and who I couldn't use if you wanted to integrate, and they had a few people. Like, how did the whole thing evolve that from this kind of closed? Now they talk about open APIs and there's cloud based and and just give us a little bit about what all that means, open APIs, legacy, and cloud-based to our listeners. So I think that, you know, going back in time, the original point of sale system was the upgraded cash register, right? It just saved you from doing the math, maybe print out an order ticket so that the, the, there was no errors in the kitchen. Super basic. Mm-hmm. Then as software evolved, you had Micros, NCR, all these amazing companies build the first real version of point of sale. And ironically, I think, the goal of those systems is actually just efficient operations in store. It was how do I get more transactions through the store faster while maintaining all the, the back office operations that I have. It was speed of volume meant more than anything else. And I would say, candidly, that decision was often came down to the CIO, CTO, with not a ton of influence from the CEO. Then all of a sudden, and this probably goes back five or six years, you had big restaurant organizations, everything from you know, Starbucks to McDonald's, start to make dramatic investments to change the customer experience from technology. We went from customers who literally would come in the store and go to the drive-thru to all of a sudden now saying, hey, I may come in the store, I may come to the drive-thru, but I also want a mobile app. 
I want loyalty points. I want online ordering. I want to pay with my QR code. Uh, I want to access all that information in your store, on my phone, on your website. And all of a sudden, you had this need for other products to access your system. And so when we say open API, where the industry is moving from is these closed systems where all the data is really meant to run the store and go up to corporate to an open system where you still got to run the store, you still got to send that data up to corporate, but now you have other parties that need access to that data, whether it be Olo for online ordering or Punch for loyalty, other people access it. And so one of the, the great um, innovations, I think, around uh, point of sale, and I, I take no credit for it, this was the founders of Brink did an amazing job, was this idea that the next wave of innovation would actually not would be, not be innovation within the point of sale system, albeit there's a ton of innovation there. It's actually the innovation of the ecosystem that matters, and you need to power that ecosystem. So think of it as your iOS is an amazing innovation, but the value to you, the customers, all the apps that you you buy onto iOS. And so I think point of sale is a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, because I always tell Jimmy that, you know, a point of sale, at least when I was, you know, starting out, it was the value prop was you had a good point of sale and it was like they didn't need to be a scheduling platform. That wasn't what they were. Like you, to your point, it was just kind of is it stable? So it doesn't crash. It, it runs credit cards. It gets a ticket to the kitchen. And and it, it's that's what it does. It was and it was good at it, it was very solid. I mean, I remember micros. I mean, knock on wood when I had micros. It just it very rarely anything happened to it. It just worked all the time. It was all hardwired, and you didn't have to worry about anything. And it was it was solid. And it's 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 a good point. And it is interesting to see. I guess I guess I remember like like breadcrumb wasn't breadcrumb like like the first kind of cloud kind of thing. And maybe it was like was it maybe just and then I think um, a group on board. Maybe it was like too early. Yeah, there there are a few others. I think a lot of people had the idea of moving your infrastructure architecture to the cloud. What what which is a big part of that wave of innovation. I, I think the other part that's interesting though is also making it open, right? So I can move my app to the cloud and run it more efficiently, give you better data, but then do I let other people write to it? Do I let you sort of say, hey, I'm a, you know, a, a graduate of, you know, whatever, a CS major mm -hmm. from Stanford and I want to go write an app for restaurants. You know, do, do you give me access to that? And so I think that was the, the other really cool thing that, that Brink did early on. You know, Sadie, thank you for sharing all of that, uh, especially uh, Shachi's walk down memory lane when he used to be a, uh, uh, 1967 uh, February was a winter day and my mother was pregnant. Shatsy also stuck with Palm Pilot for as long as he could before he uh, before he moved on. Is that not a thing anymore, Jimmy? <laughs> it's really not a thing anymore. Sorry, uh, sorry, Bono. Uh, listen, changing gears. Uh, I want to get to my favorite topic, uh, uh, and as the finance guy, that's going to be finance. Um, we are truly in a disruption phase with respect to tech and innovation, and the curve is incredibly steep. We take the view that um, the industry and certainly the pandemic from a business standpoint has put a spotlight on the criticality of treating technology as medicine and no longer as vitamins. Um, but we think that um, we're seeing investors jumping into opportunities. We're also seeing a number of standalone um, you know, solutions that are being acquired. But you guys have been, you know, certainly particularly active, and I guess one of the most <laughs> one of the most prominent announcements um, of the year, uh, we think, has been Partech's acquisition of industry loyalty leader Punch. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more to the extent you're allowed to. It was four trillion dollars, Jim. That's a big buy. I think it was a little less. Four trillion dollars. I think it was a little less than that, Chatsy. And I also believe, you know, not to put you on the spot here, but I think you said Savid overpaid. But I'll let you and Savid, you know, discuss that. I don't think he did. I think he got a great price. But, but, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I know that that's your bit. Not that's your opinion, not mine. But maybe let Jimmy, Savid, that was private discussion. Yes, not anymore. Um, can you tell us, uh, Savid, yeah, a little bit about maybe what in, when is that acquisition and um, and maybe how the integration. Uh, is going thus far? Yeah, so P Punch is the by far the market leader in, in loyalty solutions in the restaurant industry. They are 
um, I think in 39 or 40 of the top 100 restaurant chains, um, you know, to say they have mar leading market share is probably a massive understatement. And ironically, they're also the fastest growing provider. So, so they're they're not only the biggest, but also the fastest growing, which, which really says a lot in software. Um, the reason we engage with Punch uh, is relatively simple. Um, you know, one of the things I realized early when I came to this industry is that everyone in the restaurant technology space looks at everything as their own little verticalized application. Like you do point of sale, you do back office, you do this, you do that. Mm -hmm. And we're forced to kind of connect to each other. And, and since we natively weren't meant to interact with each other, there's constant problems. The systems don't speak well together. Data, one guy doesn't update, takes down everybody else. Um, it's, a, it's a massive interconnected web. And you know, a lot of this was sort of highlighted when Uber and DoorDash took off. You know, you see those restaurants with 50 different tablets. You know, that is, is a lack of uh, an ability for these things to, to work well together. And so when we started realizing that, you know, the world was going to change, we came up with this, this theory at the time, which now we're putting into practice, which is what restaurants really need is a platform. And that platform should give them the ability to control their own innovation. So our, our dream is, hey, restaurant, here's your platform. You can turn on Punch. You can turn on PAR. You can turn on our back office, so on and so forth. But you don't need to. You can shut them off. Or, and build on top of or plug anything else. The idea is to make it native, to make it like Twilio as opposed to Oracle. And, and we realized that the only way we could actually give that vision of a platform is if we got something to the consumer. And because today, before Punch, we had the transaction. We had every transaction because of point of sale. We had the back office. We had the payment. But we didn't know who the customer was. And, and so our vision was, if we knew right. the customer was, we could actually effectuate this vision of the platform. Um, and that's why we did it. Um, as far as the integration, you know, I think uh, it's gone great. And the reason it's gone great is because the Punch team is incredible. Um, you know, I think they are the highest quality team we've come across in the restaurant tech industry. Um, and they're every bit as good as we uh, hope they were. And, uh, you know, candidly, I think our customers very much look forward to it because the idea of point of sale and loyalty app and marketing applications speaking well to each other is just in the enterprise a huge challenge. And so if they're under the same roof, you know, we can solve that and probably come up with very unique information and product. And, you know, my dream one day is to give every restaurant the opportunity to build their own Amazon Go store where it's, you know, you walk in the store it's, and say, hey, Shatsy, here's a menu adjusted because you're on your new diet fad. Uh, here's a menu for your kid. Um, you never bring out your loyalty card. You never bring out your payment card. You never bring out your, your credit card. Everything is sort of an ambient experience. It actually strengthens the bond between you and that restaurant where you walk out and you're like, wow, that was really cool. I never brought my phone, my wallet, and everything was beautiful. And so that's a little bit what we want to try to push the, the, the future of the restaurant to. So um, it made a ton of sense. And, and we've been partners with them for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And so we knew them, we knew the product, mm -hmm. we knew how much our customers loved it, which made the diligence really easy. That's awesome. You know, listen, that branded part of, as operators of restaurants, we've been testing and, and using technology for, for years. I mean, since uh, the days of uh, Open Table 23 years ago. And, and we love using our stores to, to test. And then we added the whole test uh, before we invest kind of thing. So we see a lot of uh, products and see if they're solving problems. Uh, with you guys over at PAR, do you have a process of what you guys are looking for uh, for when you're thinking about companies that you think that may be a good fit for integration or acquisition? I mean, with Punch, you just said like yeah, you had a relationship, you knew them for five, six years, so you knew it was working well. And then you're like, you know what? This is great. We, we, we kind of had a honeymoon. We know this is good. Is there is it something like uh, can you give us a little color on what you're looking for, what you look and how you make decisions on integration? And, and is it acquisition or is it just kind of an integration? Yeah, so on the acquisition side, it's very product-led. Um, you know, you can do M&A in a lot of ways, right? You can buy revenue and just try to get via, you know, a bigger version of Oracle or, or, or NCR. You can, um, you know, be technology-led. For us, it's product-led, which is we look for the areas that, that our customers want product 
and that if we took that product and integrated it into what we have, the customer's actually getting something better. So, so rule one is it just can't be one plus one equal two, one plus one has to equal three in the minds of the customer, not to us, but to the customer. Jimmy made that line up, by the way. Did you know that? Jimmy came up with that. One plus one equals something more than two. I, uh, I, I may have borrowed that from somebody else. Um, I may have. Jimmy, you told me you made that up. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Subdi. Go um, well, I believe you told me. So, um, you know, copyright to Jimmy. <laughs> the idea is that, you know, are you actually giving the customer something different? Um, and, and that's how we've mm -hmm. done our M&A. From there, we go into, is it a creative to our multiple? Does it make sense? How, how can we blah, 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 blah. But we start with the product. On the integration side, it's very different. Right. The integration side is a big part of both Punch and PAR's belief is that we're open. And the idea is that if you're the customer and you've got an application or a, an idea, we don't want to like stop you from doing that, i.e. like most of our competitors have done for decades. We just say, write to the API. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, I, I would say the bar isn't crazy high on the integration side because we actually want that ecosystem to flourish. So the next time you guys invest in a great company, we want them to write to our API. We want that to be available to our customers. We want them to sort of have access to the next new technology. Um, and so the integration bar is far lower. It's very much driven by what our customers are looking for so that we can be responsive. And at times, you know, we'll say, hey, this category looks really interesting. Let's start getting partners in there because we think our customers will want that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sabine, for that. I want to stick with the kind of whole, some of the disruption and, and the ways you're looking at, you know, whether it's acquisitions, investing, and, and expanding your arsenal. And it's, it continues to reign very clear uh, that it's really for you about uh, delivering value to operators. I'm also not going to let it pass that, that Shatsy went back to the early 90s once again. So Shatsy, that's it. That's two. Okay. You can't go back. This isn't about you in the 90s. Like, you, like you're a freaking dinosaur, man. Just let Sabine and I run the show, man. Okay. Don't worry about it. We, those were good times yeah. for me, man. Those are yeah. good times Peaked in the nineties. Great music. Listen, so I mean, right. uh, in terms of the um, some of the things going on, let's say in the public markets, um, uh, we, obviously we've discussed it at at Le or nausea. Uh, you're a publicly traded company. There have been a number of of hospitality, both dining uh, companies and restaurant groups, as well as technology companies that have tapped uh, the public markets. Um, I guess, do you see an acceleration and the growth continuing in this regard? Um, not to get too technical, the SPAC market, which is on, you know, somewhat has been, uh, the, the wind's been taken out of the sale as a result of some SEC and accounting issues, uh, at one point represented 70% of the new issue market. But at the end of the day, there is a move for some companies to go public. Do you see that accelerating and continuing? And what does that mean? for the industry? So I'll answer it by saying, I think that the growth in investment in restaurant technology will continue because you know the average restaurant spends one and a half to 2% of their budget on technology versus the average industry is seven to 8%. So there's a long tailwind here of, of restaurants catching up. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes joke that you know, I'm still working with CIOs who are like retailers back in the day who said, nobody will ever buy shoes online. Um, you know, there's still, some, <laughs> there's still some belief. I wonder if they still have a job. <laughs> but, you know, there's still some belief that, you know, things will go back to the way they were. And I think that, you know, you know, COVID for, sort of brought the, you know, once you've touched digital door dining, you're still going to go into a store. You're still going to have those amazing meals and moments with your family. But once you've accessed the, the convenience, you will also do that. And so I think you've had that, that will lead to tremendous investment in the restaurant space. Whether that comes in the form of the public markets, I think it'll be a little while. Here's why. There are actually not a lot of very large restaurant technology companies. Um, there are not enough of them that are at 100 million of revenue plus where you normally you can go public. That actually makes sense to go public. There are a bunch of great fast-growing companies, but you don't have a ton at scale. So we'll have you know Toast go out. We'll probably have one or maybe one or two others, but they're not going to be 50 of them. Uh, and just because the scale isn't there yet, and that's because we're so so early in that that technology adoption. Now I think it's an amazing thing if you're 
if you're a guest on your show, if you're in a portfolio company of you guys, because one of the challenges of, of being a, a VC or an investor in restaurant tech is there weren't a lot of options to exit. Who are you going to sell to? Uh, Oracle, NCR, maybe. Um, are you going to sell to another big startup? Maybe, but M&A is very you know, can be very challenging in a, in a fast-growing startup. And so there weren't like a ton of exit opportunities. And private equities kind of had like a mixed reputation in restaurant tech. And so I think these companies coming public is actually going to help spawn a more aggressive ecosystem because you have more acquirers, you have more capital. It'll really help create um, better outcomes, which will hopefully create more investment. Well, listen, I got to tell you, you couldn't have you couldn't have opened up the opportunity for my next question better. So let's just talk about the future. Big year for par. You buy a punch for four trillion dollars. <laughs> What's next? What is next for par tech? What acquisitions? We said earlier in the show that you would have a big announcement. What is the big announcement? Can you say it right today, right now? And will the stock get a big bump? Um, I, I don't know if we've had any big announcements other than uh, we're on this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we had to slip uh, Jimmy some money on the table to sneak in. But um, <laughs> Jimmy, I tried. Jimmy, I tried. I tried. Jimmy bought options of Par Tech today, hoping there would be a big announcement. Jimmy, big mistake. Um, but I'd say this. I think that... <laughs> You know, our, our focus is on execution. Um, M&A has been a, a great part of our success story. We've done it pretty well. Um, but now it's sort of executing on that plan. Where I, where I think um, we're focused on, where I think the future of restaurant technology is going to go is, you know, so much of the innovation that's happened in restaurant technology is like the front end. It's online ordering. It's loyalty. It's all the stuff that acts mm -hmm. the customer, right? But what I think we're, we're kind of missing is that running a restaurant has gotten shittier, not better. Um, you know, if you think back just a few years ago, all you really had to do was run your in-store operations, people coming in and out, and your people coming through the drive-through, if you had a drive-through. Today, right. you got those two channels, plus you got online orders, you got mobile orders, you got Uber oh. Eats, DoorDash, you got, uh, you know, people coming to the curbside, plus Alexa starting to order food for you. Um, and so your kitchen became like an Amazon fulfillment center, as opposed to the kitchen just servicing the guys that are in the store, right? And so you can imagine how much software and technology is going to be needed to manage that workflow, such that the operators are actually getting value from all these digital channels. Um, and so we're just at the beginning of that. So I think we're going to see a ton of work, PARs working on a ton of stuff there to help the operator get through this, this new world so that they can actually focus back on the guests. Because today, I think they're just keeping their heads above water. The second big thing I think I see happening is that um, running a restaurant is, is, is going to be more challenging to quantify your success because historically you'd manage restaurant profitability on a per store basis, right? You guys invest in restaurants. You look at this location versus that location. That's, these are the results. Maybe it's because of a better manager. Maybe it's because of better location, so on and so forth. But in a world of digital ordering, how do you account for who gets credit for that order, right? So if I'm ordering from your online ordering website and that's being fulfilled by any chain I think I choose, who gets the credit for that? Uh, how do you sort of figure out who's making money, right? Um, you, you know, think about what's really cool about online ordering today is if I've got two stores that are, you know, one's a mile from my house and one's five miles from my house, you could write that to the, the one that's farther away because they've got lower wait times, they've got more inventory, whatever it may be. But, but should they get the credit for that sale? Does the corporate get the credit for the sale? Or does the other store get the credit for the sale because they're closer to my house? That's a complicated equation. And so what I think you're going to have is a massive yeah. investment in sort of data analytics where it used to be I have a loyalty program. In reality, you need 10 million loyalty programs because every customer, you're sort of now measuring restaurants on a per customer basis as opposed to a per unit basis, which is totally different. And so those are the two big waves I see kind of happening in this space. I loved all that. I got to tell you, that is, um, there is knowledge being dropped. And, and I know we're an audio only podcast, but I am, I was like doing the, the Arsenio Hall and waving fists and, and cheerleading because what you're articulating, um, you are 100% correct. Owning and operating a restaurant today is a far more complex 
uh, business that it's ever been. And it requires, and other industries have demonstrated this to us, it requires the utilization not just of technology, uh, but you highlighted one of our most favorite segments, or not, not, not for today, but one of our favorite areas of focus and investment, which is actually data um, and specifically converting data into tools and tools into products uh, that the industry can use. Um, we know most restaurants are not staffed with big data analysts and miners, and they really need answers and whatnot, and I love the way you're approaching it. Um, I also want to say, Shatsi, that our SEC attorney called me, and I want to be very clear, Savneed and punched, uh, sorry, PAR did not trade for uh, trillions of dollars. Um, no, we did not expect Savneed to drop any um, any uh, announcements that might have moved the stock. And third, I have not purchased any options whatsoever uh, in, in, part, uh, in part tech. Um, and again, I've now checked the box. Our attorney will leave me alone. Well, no, um, I mean, you told you told your wife to do the purchasing. Jimmy. You're not that <laughs> stupid. I mean, you're a licensed guy. You wouldn't make a purchase go. yourself. And we move on to the next segment. Here we go. <laughs> we, we get we get to go our, our you know, when, when Chats and I launched the podcast, uh, our idea was that we thought we'd have fun talking with industry leaders and experts uh, and asking guests also sorts of questions and along the way uh, we learned that they sometimes wanted to uh, ask us a question or two. So we created a section for season three called Talking Back. We let our guests um, afford the guests the opportunity to ask us anything they may want to know and nothing is off the table. Sadneet, the microphone is yours, sir. Um, well, I guess I have two questions and, and they're, they're sort of dichotomous. The first is I'm really curious uh, what what area in the restaurant technology you guys think is all hype and not substance. You know, there's money flowing into every category of a uh, category what's an area you guys are avoiding or you think is just way overbuilled Ooh, good question Ooh, that is a good shots is our restaurant guy grabbing that or would you like me to take well, a shot no matter what I, you say i'm, I'm going to speak no matter what you do i'm going to speak anyway but but you should but i'll give you the first crack i'm not going to say it's all hype but there's definitely i don't know i mean right now you're talking a lot a lot about robotics and from what i've seen i think robotics are definitely i i think it's it's something that's that's definitely in the pipeline and 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 could happen but i think right now what i've seen the way that the robotics move in the kitchen i mean you know i'm not a really fast guy but i can move really way quicker so i would say that we're just not there yet with some of the robotics that i have seen so i would say that there's money flowing into a lot of the robots and I've even seen the ones that are doing delivery. And again, n nothing bad. I just, if you ask me what's, I, I think it's, a, I think there's a lot of things right now. And that may be a little early. That's just my take on it. I love it. I love it. Ducks on a pond, Shats. Ducks on a pond. Um, I, I would, I, while I somewhat agree with your answer, Shats, yeah, I also think, you know, to, to put some perspective around it, you know, we are very operator centric and operator driven. Most operators are thinking they operate just in time they think about what they need jit and you know a traditional venture firm which i actually don't believe we are they feel if you recognize the problem today you're late so they're thinking out about what things people aren't even anticipating so i don't i don't disagree um, i think robotics are critical i think automation is critical however for an operator today we are far more focused on their near-term um, let's say uh, what, what is most either opportunistic, 
challenging or problematic. And we feel it's still the off-premise and the omni-channel, which you highlighted as you think about all the different ways an order could come into a store, almost a fulfillment center. We are thinking seriously about customer engagement um, because right now it's competing for share of wallet. Um, it's not just you have to keep up with your, what your guests want. You, you got to actually outpace your competition. Um, we think about back of house, um, and you're right, so much focus is on front of house. We cannot um, divorce the fact that what's going on in the back of the house and even in the menu management and building dishes and profitability um, and inventory management is critical. And let's just face it, clipboards with checklists are out. Um, and if you're still using one, call us, we'll help you. And then you, you mentioned um, data and analytics. I'd also highlight to me, if you ask five restaurateurs today, the biggest challenge, it is workforce, it is labor, and that is something that we need to really are going to zero in on. I believe that's where that robotics discussion moves into play, but if that is further down the road, but we are really focusing on labor. So, Shatz, I liked your comment, but I will simply say from a perspective, we are a little more near term. So, Can, the can I change I my answer again, Jimmy? You should say ditto. Just say I, ditto and you'll be I, good. I, I love robotics, and robotics is where we're focused. I changed my answer. You made it sound so good. Damn it, I'm wrong. Damn it. There you go. Love anyway, Shabby, there, Damn it. There's our, long, there's our long-winded, multi-part answer to your question. Uh, what we do love is what I shared, and what we are saying is important, but much further down the road is what Shatsy commented on. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, Jimmy, you always every every time you say it, it sounds so much better. Why do I have to go for it? I'm never going first again. Well, so science, the, yes, top, top, has been <laughs> yeah, top of the tech stack is it's a good little segment we do. So, you know, kind of uh, from your question to us, let me ask you something. What if you had to tell an operator or people in the industry, what areas of hospitality tech, obviously not point of sale, because obviously that is the most important and par is the best. What would you recommend to operators right now uh, to be focused on? Like, where is the most important piece of technology they should have on their uh, in their tech stack right now? Yeah, I'll give you um, a perspective as opposed to a specific one because I think every restaurant's got its own goal. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the perspective yep. you as an operator have to go in is that your digital footprint is now as important as your physical footprint. Even if ninety five percent of your store sales are people coming in. You've got to treat that that digital footprint as important as your physical footprint because listen, if you were a retail store 15 years ago and you like legged into e-commerce, you, you didn't win, right? You didn't give the opportunity for your organization to switch to be full e-commerce. And I worry that restaurants are trying to leg in. They're like, oh, I'll just set up Uber Eats and DoorDash and I'll be good. Yep. And and they don't realize that you know you you might become the airline on a kayak search as opposed to being kayak, right? Um, and so I think that, that that it's more of a perspective you've got to go in with, hey, this digital stuff is as important as the physical stuff, and, and then you'll be all right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. By the way, I love his answer, Shatsy, because when we launched our business, we talked about our focus on off-prem and the omni-channel of it. I had somebody saying, what's the big deal about delivery? You call Uber, you just set up an account, you're done. And I went, you're right. I guess you just, that's, I guess we just, you just, you just uh, basically dismantled our business and there's nothing to do because just, you need a 1-800 number to Uber and you're done. So um, uh, to Sunday's point, you're right. I think people have a misunderstanding of just the, the complexity, the workflow and the nuances around this. Um, our last, uh, our last, uh, we'll call it segment um, before Shatsy's. No. Yeah, segments. exactly. It's the last, yes, the last one. Segment. Yes, the last one before you then claim you get the best segment every every episode. Um, but we're going to do our crystal ball moment. Um, it's our chance uh, to let our guests put on their Kreskin or Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. So while I think you've been, you know, certainly indicating the direction you think it's going, I guess we'll ask you, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to hospitality and POS and that relationship? Um, 
I, I think we're moving to a world of like ambient computing. What that means is that today, like technology is a wedge. I don't think any operators like, oh, technology is like my saving grace. It's sort of like, I got to have it. I got to figure it out. You know, it's like this sort of device in the middle. I think we're moving in two years to a world where the technology is ambient and it's additive to your life. It actually makes you closer to your desk. Where today, I'd argue if you went to survey restaurant operators, you're like, hey, is technology broadly made you close to your guests, I think they'd say, hell no, it's taking them away from us, right? They've moved to the third-party delivery marketplaces. They've moved to ordering me online, which that my online website, though, isn't my look and feel. It isn't the culture of what, when you come in my store. It's just like an online website. I think we're going to move to a world where, where technology, both digital and physical, become one and the same. You know, the word omnichannel is thrown around, and I, I use the word ambient because omnichannels, you can order from specific channels, and I sort of think as ambient as it's just it's around you. You don't know it's there, but it, but it, but it, but it helps actually strengthen that, that relationship between the guests and, and the restaurant, where today, I, I really think it's unfortunately done the opposite. Wow. Yeah. Shachi, Shachi, a... you're gonna, you're, you know you're going to adopt word ambient now, and you're done with omnichannel, and it's going to be all ambient for you all the time. I have so many big words that I'm going to use. A, I'm going to have to start looking them up, <laughs> but I've got a full list of big words that I'll probably use all week. I'm super excited to go to Dallas tomorrow and use some big words. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, listen. Now it's time for the best segment, and we are getting to the end of this uh, of this uh, show, which has been phenomenal, but it's branded Quickfire. Savneet, are you ready? I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. Uh, just come, first thing comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. All right. Here we go. College ball or pro ball? What sport? Any sport. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a pro ball guy in general, but I love college basketball. We're going, we're going pro ball. We're going college basketball. I agree. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Um, my wife picked up a restaurant called Possibilities in Syracuse, New York. They have something called hot tomato oil, which is one of the very few things you can't find in New York City. Nice. What is your favorite food city in the world? Uh, Tokyo, without question. When travel resumes to complete normalcy, where's the first place you want to go? Yeah, New York. You know, we moved out of New York 15, 16, right before the pandemic. And, uh, we miss it terribly. We miss the food terribly. So we're, we would go back for food. <laughs> Look at that. I like it. Well, I got to tell you, we've got a couple of good restaurants for you to check out. So uh, can't wait to have you. If you were going to challenge Jimmy or I to a game of horse on the basketball court, who would you have better odds of beating? Oh, I'd change the game. I'd make you guys get play a game of three and you guys would go first. So uh, one of you would miss and then I get to set the shot every time if I was the back of the line. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, that is the most, I think that's the most uh, uh, sophisticated, intelligent answer because he, tw he twisted around and he basically said, I'm beating both of you. Yeah, I would have I <laughs> just bet it would be like, oh, I was going to beat you, Shats. Look at you. Well, that, was, that, was, that, was, uh, that, was, you that was the easy answer. He, uh, But he twisted. He's going to take us both down. Listen, uh, skinny, short Jewish guy. I mean, uh, <laughs> Uh, Sabni, we want to thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast and for all your great insights. Uh, we also appreciate uh, the hard work that you and your team do, uh, again, not just for the industry at this time, uh, but always. I also want to uh, throw in the, the, the shortest of stories, which just came uh, my way this morning, which is- Jim, you haven't had a short story since you're eight years old. I promise it'll be a short one, but in, in leading up to this podcast with Sabni, clearly, Shatsy, we've been speaking about, we have this, we have a big POS uh, on the show, a big POS. POS on the show, big, you know, big, uh, big, big. And um, one of our interns uh, did not know the acronym POS stood for uh, point of sale. And she thought it stood for something that might be a little bit more in the profanity lace bit. And one of the questions asked us was, why do they keep calling this guy a piece of S? Um, and only today, only this morning, <laughs> did they realize that that POS was not a piece of 
blank, but rather point of sale. So I thought I'd just share that uh, while uh, while uh, our intern class is awesome, uh, they're still learning the jargon. Um, but let's getting back to uh, our appreciation. Um, if anyone would like to get in touch with Stephanie, and this is a company really on the move, uh, we encourage you and, and invite you to reach out to Branded. You know, do that at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. Again, you can email branded at podcast brandedstrategic.com, and we'd be happy to connect you with Savneet or his team. Uh, for those of you long-term listeners, you know we no longer give out cell phones and emails. That was an, a season one mistake, and we've learned from our mistakes and gotten better. Uh, Shatsy, it's hard to believe, hard to believe, Shatsy, this is our final episode of season three. Uh, but unlike your favorite TV shows that take lengthy breaks and Have we been renewed, Jimmy? We've been renewed. Have we been renewed? Shatsy, we're so renewed. We're back next week, kicking off season four, uh, and we're very excited uh, to welcome our friend from Oracle, F&B uh, Global Food Business, uh, Mr. Simon de Montfort Walker. Uh, again, Senior VP and General Manager at Oracle uh, F&B Global Business Unit. So, what do those gone, guys do, Jimmy? You know what? I don't. You know, Oracle. I have no idea. I guess you know this. It's a small startup company, and we'll see what they're. Uh, you know what they what they got underway. Um, finally, to our listeners. Um, we do want to recognize and, and, and thank you as well for spending time with us and tuning in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And the fact that you choose to hang out with us is something we appreciate. Uh, if you haven't is done Savnit, so already, Does he have a special offer to our listeners? Like, is he giving away like hats or shirts or some some par swag, something? There must be something he's giving away. Actually, Shatsy, that Amazon charge on your card was me ordering uh, Partech stuff uh, in your PA, on your personal card. So don't worry, we'll we'll have those to, uh, to give out on behalf of uh, uh, on behalf of Partech, but courtesy of Michael Schatzberg. Um, Social security okay. number will be posted on the website. Uh, finally, if you haven't done so already, please uh, invite a friend to join us uh, and subscribe so you don't miss out on an exciting guest next time. Um, I think that's it. And again, uh, I don't want to play favorites, but um, I think we're going to look back and we're going to realize there was some real value uh, and maybe the most value uh, derived from this podcast is people think about where one of the biggest players in the market is directing their attention, their capital, and their resources, and certainly thinking about how to empower the restaurant and the operator. So we appreciate that. Uh, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy. I'm yeah. signing off. Well, I got to tell you, Jimmy, I found that what POS meant. I always thought it was what you said. It was piece of, I, I, I shocked. Thank you. So they just cleared that Happy up for help. me. 25 years in the business. I had no idea. Happy to help. Hey, Shatsy, say goodnight, Gracie. Hey, listen, the Hospitality Hangout Restaurant Guy, a.k.a. Shatsy. Thank you, everybody. Savneet, this was phenomenal. Uh, really, just a great episode. Not just kissing butt. Thank you, Savneet. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>